And as the children are dismissed, the rest of us, please, if you are physically able, I know Aaron can't today, but if you are physically able, please stand to your feet for the reading of God's word here this morning. Read Peter's epistle to a persecuted church scattered abroad. And it begins as follows. I'm going to begin in verse 8 to really emphasize where I'm going with scriptures 10 through 12. Verse 8 begins as follows. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things in which angels long to look. Amen. You may now be seated. Father, we thank you for another wonderful day where we come together gathered thanking you as we sang earlier for the breath in our lungs. Thanking you, Lord, for the privilege and the honor that we get to be here, not because we have to, but because we get to be in your house today. To read your word, to study the words through Peter. as We get to hear Peter's writings, and how the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these very things which belong to you, which is your word. Help us understand, help us obtain the wisdom needed to really truly understand how blessed we are with the full salvation being revealed to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and the person and the work of Christ. So today we give you glory and honor. We thank you for everything that you've done. And we thank you for the great work that you've begun in us that you will see that is completed on the day of Christ. We give you glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today I'm gonna to ask you a question. All of you here, I wanna ask you this question. What gives you the most joy in your life? What consistently brings you the most joy in your life? I can, I can ask that question to a bunch of saved people here today, and they can all shout back and say, Jesus gives me the most joy in this place. Do we have a bunch of saved people in here? I, I don't know about you, but they don't sound like a bunch of saved people in there. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to preach the gospel today so that many can get saved here today. But if you love Jesus and you understand what Jesus has done for you, he should bring you the most joy. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Now for me, I can tell you unequivocally 100% the most joy that I get is building my relationship with Christ. Amen. Without a doubt. And when you build on that relationship with Christ, you know it's because of what he has done for you. Now, Peter is continuing to write this letter, explaining to the readers that you really have to understand that you are saved unto eternity. 
that you have been born again, that you have been given the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that you are saved. And because you are saved, you are saved from who? Who are you exactly saved from? They say, oh, I'm saved from the devil. No, you're not. You are saved from God. You are saved from God and his wrath. And so we find the most joyous Christians is when we get to build our relationship with Jesus for all that he's done. And today's catechism, when Eric was speaking about the work that Jesus has done for us, it's profound to know that it just, it just wasn't that when people ask you, well, what did Jesus do for me? Well, he died for my sins. Absolutely. But he had to live for you first. He had to live perfectly and conquer the law because you couldn't possibly. You break the law every day. Every day. You may be thinking about things in your head right now. It's breaking the law. But thanks be to God for Jesus who conquered the law and abided by the law so that he become the perfect lamb, the perfect lamb of God to sacrifice himself for us so that we would be forgiven. So we have salvation. So the, 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 the focus here is salvation because next week we're going to really, really hammer home on why you should now understand why you are all called to be holy. Called to be holy. What I, I don't know about you, but when you think about that, it's like, I can't be holy. I don't know. How, but you better understand God has called you to be holy because of what he's done for you. It should compel you to live a righteous life because of what he's done for you. I don't care who hurt you. I don't care what, you, what someone has done to you. But what Jesus has done for you should compel you to live a holy life. So today, ask yourself. That question, what consistently brings you the most joy? If we ask someone who's an unbeliever what brings them the most joy, they're going to probably say, it is my girlfriend, or it is my car, or it is my home, or it is my kids, it's, it's my career. Those things bring me the most joy. But those things are irrelevant because what should bring you the most joy is Jesus. Amen. Jesus. We get asked that question and I want you to ponder that question and sometimes reflect and think, what is it exactly that brings me the most joy? Even as Christians, sometimes Jesus hasn't been bringing us the most joy because you haven't been doing what you need to do to grow in your relationship with Christ. See, Jesus says, and the word of God says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's Jesus. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But, but we leave Jesus all the time and forget Jesus all the time. And forget all the stuff that he's done for us. So we're going to hammer home right here. We're going to concentrate and we're going to show you a different way to look at your salvation. How truly blessed you are. Uh, a different viewpoint, a different perspective here. So follow along with me in the word of God here. The title of this sermon is called Salvation, Our Great Reward. Our Great Reward. Number one, the points of this sermon, if you have your notes, you will follow along. Peter provides a historical perspective on how blessed we are to see the fullness of salvation provided. What do you mean the fullness of salvation? How God actually did it. How his plan of redemption was, was, uh, um, was planned out and strategized and how we are absolutely blessed to see the full salvation provided, which was prophesied by the Old Testament writers of the Bible. So here he writes in verse 10. Follow along. Concerning this salvation, someone say salvation. salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched 
and inquired carefully. So he's saying, you are truly blessed because the prophets who wrote this thing, who prophesied about the coming of the Messiah since Genesis 3, since the very beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we knew that there was someone that was going to come to redeem man so that we would be under his federal head and that we would no longer be under the federal head of Adam, that there was someone coming. And so they wrote about it. And so the writers studied their own writings from, from Old Testament prophets and people who would prophesize about the coming of the Messiah. They searched diligently. They were so enamored about this, about the coming of the Messiah, how salvation would come. But you all know how salvation would come. You know Jesus. You know the story of Christ. You know that he's not only a historical figure, it's a fact. Jesus walked this earth. He's the son of God who lived for us. But when they were writing it, they didn't exactly know who was going to come. They didn't know who it was, what he would look like, what he would act like, how he would say it, what he would talk about and what he would preach. And so they prophesied and all these things came to pass because when you read Psalms 22, when you read Psalms 22, when Jesus was on the cross and he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting Psalms 22 as it was prophesied that he would. And so that he's quoting Psalms 22. When you go back, I want you to write that down in your notes. Go back and read Psalms 22. And when you read Psalms 22, you see the story of Jesus, him being crucified on that cross. And so the Old Testament writers were writing it and they carefully searched the scriptures diligently and wanted to find out. And so they're writing it, they're reading it and searching their own writings to get the answers. But Peter says, look how blessed that you are, that you actually get to see the fruition of God's work. You are truly blessed, saints of God, sitting in these chairs here today because you saw the full plan planned out, played out in the scriptures. You saw it. We believe it. And we are truly blessed. And it says this in verse 11, inquiring what person or the time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. Like I mentioned in Psalms 22, Isaiah chapter 53, the writings of the Old Testament writers who wrote these things about the coming Christ and how it was prophesied, how it would come to pass. So they would read Isaiah 53, read Psalms 23, uh, 22. And would be so infatuated with the salvation that would be provided to you all. And the Holy Spirit full of the writers so that they could write accurately. God using them to speak his word. So when you think about that, your salvation and the work of Christ and what you have been truly given and truly blessed you are. Um, the suffering that you go through, the great reward is that the, the suffering that you do go through, and, and we do go through suffering, you will go through suffering, but you think about the reward is so great that you're willing to go through the suffering because your reward is so great. What causes a man to stand before his captures, standing, standing before those who have captured him to get him to renounce his faith in Christ, but he's not willing to do it despite death that faces him, he's willing to stand for Christ in the midst of his greatest hour of trial. It's his love for Jesus. He's willing to suffer because he understands his reward is so great. You should ponder that and think about that. And our greatest joy is found through relationships with Jesus. Our greatest joy is building upon that relationship and how profound that truly is. Today, when you think about 
those of you who went to school and you studied relentlessly for hours and hours, the suffering and the, and, and the time that you went through of having to neglect your friends, having to neglect those parties that you've been invited to, all those things that you rejected so that you could reap the reward of graduation. You could reap the reward of standing there putting that hat on and switching the tassel on the other side, but you went through the trials and the suffering to do what you need to do to graduate. It's the same thing with God. We go through these things with God. We go through these trials of life, these, these, these obstacles and the pitfalls that we find ourselves in because we understand that our reward is so great. We have salvation. Salvation. It's powerful. So it's Peter's giving you a historic perspective on how you should look upon your salvation. Build upon it. Build upon that foundation, which is Christ. Now, because of of all that we go through and all that we face, it's like God understands he designs the fires of affliction to harm you and it compels you to come to him. Come to your father. Come to your everlasting father who loves you because of all that you've gone through, all that you're going through, the fires of affliction are designed to cause you to come to him. You know, when things go wrong in the life of a Christian, who do you seek out? You seek out the father. When things are going so wrong in your life and you don't understand why they're happening, you pray, you seek the father. And these things compel you to come to him. And it's like he comforts you and he gives you consolation that you are going through this very thing because it's worth it because my salvation is so, so incredible. And it's the reward that receive. It's worth it going through all of life's trials. And the Old Testament prophets who write this and, and Peter referencing them, they went through trials. They went through sufferings. All to write this so that you can read it so that you can. Let's go to verse 12. It was revealed to them, meaning the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but who are they serving? You. We're writing this down. It's like we're writing this down and we're not even going to see that we're not even going to see the full salvation, but we're writing this down. We know that we're 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 alone saved, saved in great by grace by faith in Christ alone and we know this and but we're writing it down, but it's really not for us. We're not even going to see it, but you will all see it. Just like when they saw the, 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 the picture of Abraham who's going to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. You get a picture of the cross of that God would provide a lamb that he wouldn't have to sacrifice his own son. That he would find a ram caught in the thicket. But that later God would provide a sacrifice which would be his own son. They write it. They read it. And they say how blessed that you all are to receive the revelation that you are to receive from the full salvation which is in Christ. And grace isn't something that's just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing as well because grace was upon Joseph's life. Grace was upon David's life. Grace was upon Solomon's life. Grace was upon Noah's life. And the sovereignty of God and the power of God. And even through the life of Noah, how God would only select, watch this, God would only select Noah and his family in the entire world and take out everybody else. He would take out everybody else. But people think, well, you know, wait a minute. Because we're extremely blessed and we get the writings and, and we see how salvation would come. And, and yet God has his own elect. And in the very beginning, he's describing, writing this letter. He's saying the elect of God, meaning you all, you are the elect of God. God has chosen you. He's elected you. And yet when you don't go back and you read the Old Testament, you realize that God elected Noah and his family and rejected all, everybody else. He only saved them. The rest of them perished in the flood. And when you talk about that, it's like, 
wait a minute. There had to be other good people besides Noah there, right? There had to be other good people who had good hearts that knew God, that were maybe faithful to God, but they had to be. God only saved Noah and his family. And so you read these writings and you study these writings and, and they write them and they go back and they study them intently. They want to know who the Christ is. They want to understand when he's coming. They're checking all the signs, but they're saying, but we actually are understanding something here that we're not writing them for ourselves, we're writing them for you. That the promise was given to Abraham, but did the, did the promise, uh, did Abraham get a chance to see the promise when he was alive? No, he didn't. It was promised that his name would become great, that everybody would come from, from Abraham, and yet he didn't get a chance to see it. But he wrote it, but it was prophesied and it was written down. As Moses wrote those things, it was written for us. And you're looking at your salvation from a historic perspective. From a historic perspective. The good news delivered by the Holy Spirit excites the angels of God. And you're going to read this too. Verse 12 again. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Angels long to look. That's amazing there. Because angels, angels are, are, are watching. Luke 15, 10 says that the angels rejoice at the time of your conversion. Do you remember that scripture? Write that one down and go back and read it. Luke 15, 10. That there was a time when, when the angels are watching. We know that the angels of God are around. They're watching. But there was a time when when you had come to saving faith in Christ, the gospel was preached to you. And that you fell down. I don't know what happened to you, but you fell down. You raised your hands. You may have cried, but you knew that God was upon you and, and the Holy Spirit was descending upon you and changing you, beginning to regenerate your life, to convert you. That there was a moment in time when the angel of God rejoiced over that very fact. I mean, it says they, they rejoice. It says that they, they get together and, and they're, they're celebrating your salvation. Could you imagine that? Me, you, the time. I don't know what they did. What did they High five each other. I don't know what they did. They, they shout hallelujah that brother got saved or the sister got saved. That they celebrated your new birth. Think about that for a minute. When we hear about somebody getting saved, we, we, we have friends and family, we hear about someone getting saved. It's a great feeling to hear our, our loved one get saved, finally come to know Christ, that we're excited about it. We want to go talk to them. We want to hug them. We want to love on them. But the angels do far. They, 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 they see there's no salvation for the angels. And the angels know that there's no salvation for them. But that there's salvation for you. That the Old Testament prophets, when they wrote it down, they, they got saved the same way by faith in Christ. And so when the angels rejoice over this very fact, they understand what you are being brought into what you have been adopted for and what you will see because you will see what the angels see but the angels can't understand salvation the way you can understand it because there is no salvation for the angels Jesus didn't go to the cross and die for the angels he went to the cross to die for you and so the angels see you at your conversion and they rejoice and they celebrate your conversion they're like excited but what you will one day see they're excited for you so the next time you think about sinning, the next time you think about slipping up, won't you, won't you think about that a little bit? That one time or another, there was a time in your life where the angels of God rejoiced at the very fact that you became born again, that they were excited for you. Go back and think about that next time you think about sinning a little bit. 
You think about doing something you know you shouldn't do. Why don't you think about the scripture then? Instead of thinking sin, think scripture. Luke 15, 10 says they rejoice. Here's another thing too. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible teaches us that the angels are a spectacle to us. Meaning the, the, Lord's, the Lord put the church on display for the angels to see. So the angels can see things. So in this particular culture for the Corinthian church, what the women would do there in submission to the Father, because the angels of God that you're watching, they're, wa- they're watching to see if you are submitted to the Father, totally submitted the way they are. Remember, there's no salvation for the angels. So they are totally submitted to the Father. So the angels of God are watching all of us to see if we are actually totally submissive to the Father. And they're probably thinking like, I can't believe they slip as much as they slip, and God's provided salvation for them. If we slip up, we're done. And so it's like, you have been given salvation. I want you to look at it through that perspective. And so in this culture, the women there would wear head coverings over their head. And the head covering was an act of submission that the woman of God was in submission to their husband. And so they wore that covering there. And so the angels could recognize that when they're on display that there are some women of God there that are totally submissive to their husbands. Not that head coverings work because sometimes women that wear head coverings supposed to be submitted to their husbands really aren't submitted. It's just an act. But right here, when you, when you act of love, is submission is played out. That women are submitted to the husband because the husband is totally submitted to God. Now, things get out of whack when the husband is not submitted to God. When he's not submitted to God, he's submitted to other things. And then how do they expect the wife to be submitted to him when he's not being the king and the high priest of his home? And so you have a problem there. But check this out. The Bible teaches us that the angels of God are watching. They're watching right now. They're watching right now, watching to see and to look because we are put on display for the angels. So we don't have, they don't have the same perspective when it comes to salvation that we do. We, we look at salvation. We think about salvation. We look at it from a, a historic perspective. Now we look at it from an angelic perspective. There is no salvation for the angels, but salvation has come to you. And this, and therefore, when you get to chapter four, chapter 13, look at, look at chapter 13. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, verse 13. What does it say there? Chapter 13, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. What word does it say? Shout out that word. It says, therefore. So you get therefore. What does that mean? It means take in consideration chapter 1 all the way to 12. Know what that means. And then you get therefore. In other words, all this stuff that's been given to you, all this stuff you've been blessed by, all this knowledge and wisdom that has been given to you to understand how incredible your salvation it is and you have a great reward. Finally, at 13, it's like, therefore. What are you going to do now? How, how are you going to act now? What are you going to do with this? You've been given this, so why do you act like that? You've been given this, why do you do this against God? You've been given this, why do you transgress and violate God's law? Why You've been given this, why do you keep slipping up? You've been given this, why do you keep doing the same thing you've been doing that God set you free from? Why do you keep doing it? It's like, therefore, you have salvation. It's your great reward. Now, we're not going to, this, this is not a church where we will tell you that, that if God has given you something he's, and, and you keep fouling up, he's going to take it away from you. If God saves you, 
He saves you to the uttermost. He saves you. He saved. You're born again. Your life becomes radically changed. It's not something that someone just hollered out a prayer and said a prayer at the altar, but there was no change. There was no radical transformation. You know them by the fruit that they produce. And so when God saves you, he saves you. That's why it's important to follow along in this text. That's why it's important. It says all this stuff that God has blessed us with, that the angels long to look, meaning that word long means like it's a passion. It's a passion for them. They, they long to look into the things of God. They long to see what's going on in your life. And when you know that you are in Christ, that you have the angels of God fighting on your behalf. And sometimes we need to have that perspective too. Next time we think about doing something or going somewhere we shouldn't go, who's there watching? The angels of God. Why? Because someone's praying for you. And we all pray like Calvin as we say, Lord, send the angels. Lord, change them. Lord, change their life. Lord, do something miraculous. They want God to do it because God is the only one that can do it. So y'all pray like that. And so you have this in front of you and all the blessings that we get to receive from our salvation, this historic perspective. Go to the application part to your paper there, you know. Because it says this in number one. Trials we face have a way of getting us to focus on the essentials of life and our reward in Christ. Meaning, I have salvation. I'm, I'm, I'm born again. I'm going through trials of life. I'm struggling. And things are hitting me hard and they're hitting me fast. But the central focus of everything and the central focus of the Bible is salvation. But I'm saved. I know that God has me. I'm going to go through this trial, but I know that God has me. You focus on the main things that's the most important in your life. Number two, the fires of affliction are designed to draw us closer to God. God uses the evil acts of individuals because men are evil. Men are evil. Men do things that they shouldn't do. But because we do what we shouldn't do, God uses that to draw people to him. There's been terrible things that have happened to us individually. We've, we've all done some things that we shouldn't have done or, or maybe we went someplace where we shouldn't have done through. But, but some, somehow, some way, because of an act of an individual, it actually ignited the spirit that awoke us to the things of God that we came to God. God designed that. So sometimes the fires of affliction increase your relationship with God. It causes you to pray. How many of you pray to the Lord when things aren't going so well? How many of you pray here? You should be a praying Church family, when things aren't going so well, you pray. But, it, but here's the part where the enemy comes in. When things do go wrong, we should pray. But here's how the enemy comes in. He tries to remind you of, the, gives you, he puts places guilt in your life so that you won't pray. So that I'm not going to ask God for anything. How, do I, how can I ask God for help? I, I've, been, I've been in sin. I've been doing things I haven't been doing, not supposed to be doing. How can I go before God and pray? Well, you should go before God and pray. Don't be prayerlessness. Don't operate in prayerlessness. Go before God and pray. The fires of affliction are designed to draw you closer to God. Number three, remember points one and two, plain and simple, because our suffering, both spiritual and physical, are worth it because our reward is so great. The angels are watching us. We have an historic perspective of looking at our salvation and why we come to church and why we praise God. I come to church to praise God 
because of my salvation and because of what Christ has done for me. And the other thing I get to do is I get to hang out with you all because I love you so much. And I love to be here with you all. And that's the reason why, but first and foremost, is to come thank God every day for life and salvation, renewed life, living hope, reborn people to a, born to a living hope, praising God for that very thing. But we are all under spiritual attack by the enemy. There's a devil and his demonic angels and they're very real and they're going to attack us. They're going to try to place things in front of us to keep our eyes off, centrally focused on our salvation. Life's troubles, life's problems, everything that happens, everything that comes against us is to get our focus off of salvation, off of Christ. Stop praying, stop attending, stop reading. All those things are designed to stop us from fellowship with God. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. View your salvation from a historic perspective as the Old Testament prophets have relayed here in Peter's writing. Also, think about the angels of God and how they long and long to look and to see what is happening in the body of Christ and in the church today. I'm thinking about that. In your notes, Luke 15 and 10, 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, about what the angels long to see which is your salvation what you what you do and how you show forth in your in your life with God what you're doing to show forth Christ to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the people who are on the outside God saved you God saved you now you need to share his love with the world let us pray